Episode three, myself, Ben. Myself, Cal. Back again. Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe, comment. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And all that good stuff and share all of the good footballing banter that we have. Kickstarting, kickstarting. Now, if I say the word or the name Diego Maradona to you, Cal... What what comes to mind? <laughs> Why are you asking me? <laughs> Just word association. Well, I was thinking of something, but I won't say that on the Play On podcast. Maybe I'll save that for the Bear Up and Banter podcast. Um, but uh, Just one word. Uh, a, a, a fizzy drink that people like. <laughs> Seven Up? But... <laughs> Sprite? Hey, oh, He's get, quite sprightly. You're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. <laughs> Dr. Pepper. You could, you're saying Diego Maradona is like Dr. Pepper. I'm saying skillful. Diego Maradona is without doubt one of the most skillful footballers to ever play the game of football. Indeed, indeed. Um, just come straight out of seeing the documentary put together and I must say it's amazing make sure you go and watch it if you haven't seen it already they're taking hours and hours of unseen footage of mainly when he played for Napoli his time in Naples uh, Naples the south of Italy and it's a real interesting story of the rise and the fall of a great man of uh, the uh, adopted son of southern Italy and the Argentinian you know, this guy was is seen as like next to God in a lot of places. He, he was a God at one point, wasn't he? He was, he was. He's seen, as, he's seen, you know, seen up there and real high esteem or was held in high esteem. Mm. And it's a real interesting story of his time, mainly, um, like I said, in Naples, his love, his relationship with the, with the local people, with the team that he won, you know, two Skidettos, two league titles, won the Italian Cup, uh, trophy in Europe and took them from mid-table eighth or so mediocrity to to winning the league and big things and it's it's just a real good story fascinating story as they were the underdogs you know they're not liked by they weren't seem to be liked by the rest of Italy Diego Maradona this small little guy from you know really poor upbringing a little fight a little terrier and uh, how he rose up with the team. It's, it's beautifully beautifully produced and, and really good, man. I felt inspired today. I felt like I'm going to play football on the pitch. <laughs> You're going to do some uh, skills and try and twist up 10 people and score with your left foot? Mate, there are two... Well, saying that, there's one scene of him doing the uh, keepy-uppies with the heel of his back foot and the ball's just hitting the back heel constantly. Not the side of the, of the foot, the outside of the foot, but the heel. And he's doing about 12 of these. And the ball doesn't go higher than, you know, a few, you know, inches up in the air. And it's just intricate, intricate skills. And then also him taking around the England team in the 86 World Cup is one of the greatest World Cup goals ever. If not the greatest World Cup goal ever. The man had God level techers, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just phenomenal. And the footage you see of him playing in Italy up close and just the control and the through balls and just him getting clattered as well. Just absolutely getting taken out and getting up. And yeah, he he's a player that could survive any any generation and play in any league anyway. He could play now. It's amazing, isn't it? Because um, the Italian league is always known as quite a tough, defensively strong league. Yeah. And back in those days when Maradona Brutal. was playing, that would have been what the seventies and the eighties. Eighties, uh, um, yeah, late mid to late eighties, late eighties. So, for Maradona back in those days, he probably would have had to take quite a few tackles, the kind of tackles that a referee would give a red card for today, 
But back then, ref right. would just say play on. He was getting clouted, yeah. He and then also towards the end of his tenure there, where he was seen as he was hated. He was called the devil, and because of what happened with with Italy in the uh, Italian night, on you know where where uh, Argentina uh, dumped them out um, for the semi finals, he was just hated. And then he's linked with the mafia, which is fascinating, and everything he's. Wow, deals he's, with cocaine. He's gone from a god to a devil. I'm well, angel. You know, the devil was an angel that was kicked out of heaven. Mm, Diego Maradona is the is the angel that was kicked out of the football in heavens. You could argue. Did you have a, a favorite moment in the movie? A favorite part of the movie? Uh, I really like the beginning of him being rushed to uh, the um, the Napoli Stadium in a car in these cars these little Fiat Unos and these little Italian cars and this is like mm. Italian 80s disco music proper like <laughs> pumping that was really cool and then his time his time with Argentina when he when they won the World Cup and they're all singing along I really like that and I'd say a humbling moment where his dad was with the Argentinian team and they're doing a big barbecue because uh, his dad was you know real humble real humble upbringing. So there's so there's so many classic moments, but it was it encapsulated his time there, mainly his time, like I said, in in Italy, rather than at Boca Juniors, rather than at Barcelona, just that time when he joined Napoli, and he was he was bought by the mafia, like the mafia apparently, you know, financed money for the team to get him, and he was in with the mafia, and uh, yeah, it's just deep, it's 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 really good. That sounds a bit deep, man. Really go, you know, worth a watch if you haven't already seen it. Listeners, go check it out. Go check. I went to the cinema to see it as well, which is which is a good one. I'm gonna to have to go and see it as well. It's on my to do list. Um, but talking about mafia, that sounds a bit like corruption to me. And speaking of corruption, there's a, a recent story that's been going around mm. about Michelle Platini. Do you call him Michelle or do you call him Michael? Michel Platini. Mitchell, Mitchell Platini. Mitchell, not Mitchell. That's all right, <laughs> oh, Mitchell. He's not, not Mitchell Platini. He's, he's not from Forest Gate. <laughs> he played the Juventus while Maradona played. But uh, what's he done now? So he's been under investigation for well, corruption? Well, yeah. Um, he, he's the former UEFA president. And on Tuesday night, he was detained, um, arrested by the French authorities and questioned at the Anti-Corruption Office of the Judicial Police mm. uh, in what was initially reported as an investigation into the 2022 World Cup, which is due to take place in Qatar. Now, that is suspect anyway. That is very A lot suspect. of eyebrows were raised when they got the World Cup, but is it a good thing that it's going there? He's under investigation. A lot of backhand, you know, a lot of backhanders. It's always been corrupt. Look at Sepp Blatter. Dodgy as anything. Mm. Um there's always got to be some sort of corruption, whether you know it or not. Um, how do you feel about the World Cup going over there? It's during the winter time as well, isn't it? I think it'll be during our Christmas period. Yeah, it's it's, a funny it's one. one of these things where nobody would have expected a World Cup to go to Qatar. It's not something I've seen in my lifetime. And so it kind of raises eyebrows. It makes you think. Like everybody knows that that part of the world, country like Qatar, are very oil rich. They have a lot of money. And, you know, we're starting to see these shakes come into European football and and they're using their money and their weight to do a lot in football. So for Qatar to get a football World Cup, it was very, you know, it raised a lot of eyebrows. What, what is going on here, really? And at the time, it seemed like it had a lot to do with Platini and whoever else was on board in FIFA. 
Um, and uh, it's just one of these things where Platini and Sepp Blatter were both sort of involved in some kind of corruption scandal in 2015. Um, but they were kind of cleared of, there was an investigation that was cleared of those corruption charges then. Mm. Um, but then they were found guilty of a series of regulation breaches um, that included conflict of interest and dereliction of duty wow. regarding a £1.35 million payment from Sepp Blatter to Michel Platini in 2011. Um, and they were both handed long bans from all related, all football-related activities. So this this is coming from a, an article in The Independent here. Um, so it's it just looks like there's something weird going on here. Uh, me personally, Qatar, you know, from being a, a fan of playing the FIFA football games, I always thought of Qatar as a bit of a joke in terms of football. You know, they're a kind of team where you expect them to get beat 10-0 and stuff like that. But I think, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I think host nations... Uh, countries that are holding the World Cup is it's there to bring um, either raise the profile of the game see like USA Night 4 South Africa South Korea and Japan it's to raise the profile of the game in the country and to bring a lot of revenue uh, And then, but it will be interesting to see what happens after the World Cup in Qatar if it is indeed goes ahead there or it's not pulled they're saying possibly that it could help England and, and, and we could end up hosting the World Cup which would be amazing but it'll be interesting to see what happens after the World Cup in Qatar if it happens, if the stadiums are then used, if there's a legacy. So, you know, like the Olympic Park in East London, the legacy continues where kids and the local community are using the pool and West Ham have, have managed to get the stadium uh, for next to nothing. So it, it continues. So For sure, in terms of what will happen in terms of the infrastructure and how that's going to benefit a host nation country, yeah, I mean, that, that's going to be amazing. And it will be great for Qatar. I've seen some of the stadiums already that mm. they've been developing. They're starting to look amazing. There's I a bet. lot of work going on. And I, I wouldn't want to see it get pulled because I'm, I'm actually quite curious to see what's going to happen. Um, you, you never know. Uh, when it, when it get, comes closer to the date, I might even think about trying to get out there. You know, it'd be a nice excuse to go to that side of the world and... And go and see some World Cup football. You write me a postcard. Let me know you go. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of no, like... but I mean, if if, if the if the football was going to come to the UK, you know, it wouldn't be such an exciting thing for me. Uh, but for me, the World Cup in Qatar 2022 is exciting. It's the other side of the world. Yeah, you got to be careful out there as well. You won't get too many pissed up English fans out there. You just you no. got to be careful drinking. Um, there is though. Talking the World Cup, there's also at the moment African nations and the Copa America. Um, and also the Women's World Cup, we can't forget that. I know England are playing Cameroon, I do believe, which is one of the easier games for the women, the Lionesses who are doing incredibly well. But I'm excited to see how the African nations push on and the Copa America. So I quite like the fact that this African nations, you know, it's usually running every two years mm. and it usually happens in January, which is smack bang in the middle of the European football season. And then all the African players from the Premier League are going out and... It's awkward, isn't it? Yeah. For us, anyway, for fans of the European game. Um, although it is quite a good spectacle to watch because it does run alongside the European competitions. I do feel like it sometimes takes a bit of a back seat. Yeah. So it's great now for it to be, to seeing it being moved to the summer where, you know, June, when the football calendar in Europe is over. It's pretty, pretty sparse. And yeah. now, you know, we can focus on actually just watching this uh, glorious international tournament i'm slightly disappointed though it's on at the same time as the copa america and the women's world cup i feel that uefa could have timed these things better 
to give fans uh, of the world, you know, times to times to watch this and take it all in where you've got three major tournaments all at the same time it's mm. a bit of overkill for the for the neutral fan obviously those following the uh, african nations in africa and around the world are going to concentrate on that and then mm -hmm. the south americans are going to watch that and everyone else and you know uh, young girls and women to push the female game which is great it's all too much at the same time i feel all across the world so maybe they could have staggered it over the period of june july and we could have got a bit more of the summer for more football, which, you know, is great for us football fans. <laughs> the, f the thing is, football isn't... It's like they're competing with each other a bit yeah. too much. And then it's, what, where do you spend your time and our money with? Do you watch the women's game? Do you watch African Nations? Do you watch the Copa America? It's like... I, I think, like you kind of alluded to, people will naturally be drawn to one competition mm. over the others, won't they? Like, I actually had this dilemma, and I, I think I tweeted about it the other day, where... Um, there was a Women's World Cup match and there was also uh, England were playing France in an under-21 match. And what swayed it for me was the fact that Arsenal had players playing for both England under-21 and France under-21. Yeah, I watched so the highlights of that. It was it was a really good game. Yeah, neither of the Arsenal boys even got a game. <laughs> but who did get a game was our, was our main man, Phil Foden. Played yeah. phenomenally well for the England under-21s game against France and they were... Unfortunate to lose that. Yeah, he got the goal, but then what happened with uh, Juan Bissaka? That was a calamity to now end he was, up yeah. losing to get that scoring an own goal and end up getting the nation of defeat. And then he was dropped for the Romania game wow. with Andy Bruford saying that basically I don't think his head was in the right place due to the Man United bid mm. or his head's been turned. And as a result, they lost to Romania. 4-2 which was like a goal fest I don't know if you saw it it was didn't for 70 or so minutes it was nothing and then all of a sudden just goal after goal after goal and Romania ended up Shocking. yeah all the goals came from like the 76 minute onwards and the England goalie uh, you know just had a, had, had a merit at the end see what I would want to see now is Romania cracking on and winning the tournament but if it turns out that they're not producing you know a special crop of young players um, then what happened? There? They have got that Haji. I don't know if he's related to Georgie Haji, possibly. Maybe. Could be his son, actually. Um, shows how much we know with the, with the stats. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I was disappointed with the England under 21 losing to France like they did. Okay, maybe a draw with France. Romania, they should have put put to bed. They've got all Premier League, loads of Premier, Premier League quality. They didn't play Phil Foden, which was a shock. Um, you got to rotate the squad though, haven't you? Yeah, they didn't have Chowdhury, which I was a fan of. Leicester, he had an absolutely crunching tackle in the France game. And then Damari Gray, who's another Leicester man who I'm a big fan of, popped up with a goal. So what now for the England under-21s who look like they're not going to qualify for the uh, Euro, uh, Euro Championship, which is a massive disappointment considering the the success of all the teams, the under-19s, 18s in, the, in recent years. Well, currently third in the group. They're not going to qualify. That's it. It's over. Home time. Two games, two defeats. Yeah, there's one more game. They're done at it. And you look at the quality of the team, like, it's just disappointing. And uh, so I was going to raise the question to you. I know we didn't have it on our on our notes, but I can answer it as well. Just your idea on, um. so forgive me on this, and also listeners, uh, your idea of under-21 players going straight into the first team or younger players going straight into the men's national team and not getting a chance to play in the under-21s or under-19 squad and experience tournament football. Now, I feel people say if they're good enough, they're old enough type of thing. But I feel it, it's incredibly important for these young players, your Jaden Sancho uh, and the other guys, 
to to play in the youth teams and experience this tournament football, not to go straight into the men's men's national team. And they've got to learn how to to play abroad. They've got to learn to play under these hostile environments. Tournament football, staying away from home for two, three weeks, keeping the ball, winning free kicks, learning how to work with certain refs. And I think we often, as a nation, <clears throat> England has a superstar, a young player, i.e. Rooney. Um, I'm trying to think who else has been like really young and broken to the scene. Michael Owen. Yeah, but even recently, sort of even Walcott went prematurely. Barkley. Mm, I'm not. Are you putting Ross Barkley in that? I'm not putting Ross Barkley in that. Mm, kind of, you know, when he when he came through, there was you know there was a bit of hype around him. He needs to step up for Chelsea. I think he's under. I'm a big fan of him, but he needs to step up. But I feel these players are rushed through to the fir- to the men's first team, and they're not given a chance to experience Championship football. And that's how Spain did so well with that golden generation and they all came up together and it's something that's needed i 100 percent agree with you um i do think that you know looking at the most successful nations in recent times so when spain were dominating the national tournaments and when germany were dominating the national tournaments, yeah you saw that their youth teams were also dominating they had under 17 teams that were getting to finals and winning tournaments under 19s, under 20s, under 21s. And it was those players that came through. That cohesion that comes together. Yep, that ended up making it into the senior national team. Now with England, like you said, I specifically remember with Wayne Rooney when he came through. You know, it was like, oh my God, he's world class. He's he's ready to go. And, you know, and you throw him straight into the senior team. Mm. He didn't have that experience of having won the under 21 European Championships, the under 20 World Cup. The un- it, he, he didn't really get the chance to experience that. Yeah, because how many players break through from the youth teams of the England set up into play for the, for the national team? And it needs to be that unit of travelling together, Playing together, playing tourna- tournament football is such a di- you know it's such a such a complex thing of high intensity and concentration and possession as well. We've we've got better as a nation with with keeping the ball throughout the throughout the uh, the ages, but we always used to be second best with keeping the ball, ball re- retention, um, and just performing at the higher end of the of the qualifiers. You know when you get to the last sixteen, the quarters, the semis, you everything is has to be sort of spot on concentration so mm, I think the English game is a bit more counter-attacking isn't it it's a bit more utilising sort of pace and physical power the and premise I think the na- yeah. I think the, the national team though is doesn't always play like a Premier League team I think the, the two's different <laughs> bless you bless you oh he's got moving uh, on one's left <laughs> talking of talking of Spain and the youth team someone who's come up through the Spanish youth ranks and he's retired now 35 can you believe still a spring chicken or was he is he compared to us he's slightly younger makes me feel old Fernando Torres retiring after how many years in the game 18 years 18 years in the game what a career 110 games for Spain scoring the winner in the Euro 2008 um, doing it all also Fastest player to reach 50 goals for Liverpool. That's a I didn't know. great achievement. Time. He was in a great Liverpool team that arguably should have won the league that season. He was amazing for Liverpool. Fernando Torres World Cup Liverpool winner. was pretty much unplayable. He, it just seemed like he just scored whenever he wanted to. He was really quick. He was like phenomenally quick. Mm. And, and he was huge as well. He was a giant. Put the ball in the box and he's, he's eating up those crosses all day long. 
so yeah like does he does he get into the all-time Spanish 11 could you would you put him in your all-time Spanish 11 up front ahead of David Villa ahead of Raul maybe not just on the bench Liverpool fans will have him there. I mean, that that's a difficult question it to is, ask, it is. isn't it? I mean, David Villa was a great player. Technically, David Villa as part of like a closer team, that Barca team was ridiculous. But Fernando Torres as the as the main spearhead up front, you can't argue with him. Man, pace, I'd have him in there. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm a huge Raúl fan myself. I mean, looking at um, his career though, Torres, you know, he's he's won the World Cup. In 2010. Scored in the European final. He's won the European Championship in 2008. And again in 2012. And um, sort of to back up our point about the continuity of international football from the youth tournaments and being able to progress to the senior squad. um, He actually won the European Under-16 Championship as well. Doing it all. Very interesting. Um... So he's pretty much won everything there is to win at international level, you know. Um, goal returns not been great for Spain. Thirty eight goals, hundred and ten games, but just the pace and maybe decent. just didn't, yeah, didn't push on, didn't push on maybe as as much as he uh, as much as he could have. But he retires having won, having won it all, pretty much almost won it all. Um, someone else who retires with Spain, you've got the Spanish manager has stepped down based on personal reasons. Um, which is interesting to see. I, I think it's a difficult one being the Spain manager because they're in transition. You know, they dominated with that golden generation. And then, um, what's his name? Stepping down. Del Bosque? No, Luis in... Luis Enrique, the current yeah, coach, stepping step down. down. Yeah, Sorry, I thought you was uh, talking about the previous Spanish era. Oh, no, so. no, 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 no. But... Um, yeah, I mean, it, Spain, I think they're going through a bit of a turbulent time right now with the national team. It's been a few years since they were really good. Uh, you know, we just spoke about Fernando Torres winning the World Cup and European Championships. That was a good few years ago now. And um, they seem to they seem to keep producing top players, but something's not quite, something's not quite clicking at the international level. Well, and they've been chopping and changing managers quite a lot recently as well. Yeah. Well, they're in that transition, like you said, and then it's not, there's like the old, some of the old guard coming in with the new players. And I mean, every nation has that, has that, that cycle of golden era, you know, that, that core era. Like even look at Holland now, like the Netherlands, like they're getting it now Hmm. with that three players, four players who are arguably world-class and going to push them on. Belgium, Belgium are there now with their, with their golden team. England, we've probably missed. Well, we had a golden generation, but they just underperformed in in the World Cup. So Spain will mm. come right again. Yeah, Spain will come right again. And it, I, I mean, it's interesting though because there's a lot of new emerging superpowers in football. You know, um, if Spain wait too long, will they be able to get back into the big time? I mean, Belgium are very much on the come up at the moment. The Dutch team are very much on the come up at the moment. England are there or thereabouts. Yeah, we know the French team are dominating right now. Mm. Um, the Italian team, surely they'll be back. Um, you know, and it's it, it, Spain are always supposed to be, I think, up there because they're so strong. They've, they've got such a great style of play as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
and they've got a rich history. Like Luis Enrique was obviously a great player for Barcelona. Mm. Um, so for him to coach the national team, I thought that was a very interesting appointment. Um, joining them right after you know they left the World Cup when they kind of you know they were terrible in the yeah, World yeah, Cup. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were absolutely terrible. I think they didn't even score a goal in the group stages or something like that. It was that's what they, I mean. They it's, were it's absolutely tough. terrible. No, I think it was Germany that didn't score a goal in the group stages. They were terrible as well. Um, and um, it's just it, it, I don't know what's. It seems like there's a bit of a crisis going on there. Um, because at the moment, you know, they've replaced him with a new coach, Moreno. Um, and it seems like Moreno is the fourth manager to be appointed by Spain in the last 12 months. Wow. Do you see what I mean by crisis now? Crisis? What crisis? <laughs> <laughs> so they had a Julen... Lopetegui, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that or okay. You've been Spain a few times, you get your pronunciation right. Uh, wait, is so aren't you supposed to kind of say the silent J or something in Spain? So in Portugal, you say the J, like Jose, right? But in Spain, you kind of you say Jose, you say it like a H. Um, so maybe this is Julen. Only silent J, I know, Lopetegui. silent J and Bob, these two brothers from yeah, they were hilarious. Clerks. Um, so, yeah, look, I mean, Spain will come good. We hope Luis Enrique sorts himself out. Obviously, I think he stepped down for personal reasons. Um, just moving on from one Spanish star to another, you could say Hector Bellerin. He's one of our own. He's one of our own. Hector Bellerin. He's one of our own. Showing your bias there. He's dressed in all pink. He's dressed in all pink. What is he wearing? Hector Bellerin showing his life outside of football as a Louis Vuitton model. What do you think about that? He's been doing his thing. You know, I mean, he's been modelling for a while. Would you wear that? I think that kind of gets, it gets... So he's done He's done it, it wrong. It rubs foot. up fans the wrong way because they see him doing all of this stuff outside of football and they think, just get your head down and work on your game because you actually need to improve your game. He definitely needs to improve his game. <laughs> but he's done this thing for Virgin Abloh, who's done a lot with Off-White and he's deep in the London scene as well, like worked with Skepta. And so his recent... Paris fashion fashion show which was outside it's got Bellerin wearing a hot pink I think that's the colour hot pink would you wear that? No no, that looks absolutely terrible wouldn't you wear that? No what would you? Mm, no I wouldn't I don't think I've got I've got the confidence but I don't think I could rock it off the shorts are the shorts are funky I think it, I think it looks good on him but I would look like a hot mess wearing that hot pink you'd look like a hot mess in hot pink <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not for me. Um, but he likes to dabble in fashion and he does wear some questionable clothes. He's been off most of the season with an injury. We do hope he comes back because he, he has got the potential to be world-class. Um, I think he's had a lot of dis defensive frailties uh, in the past using his pace to sort of make up for his positioning. But should should footballers be dabbling with stuff outside of, outside of football? You said, you know, people rub him up the wrong way thinking he should get his his head down his nut down and concentrate on football but is he allowed to have a bit of fun and modelling I think go for it man yeah I mean I've got no problem with him wanting to do whatever it is he wants to do it's his life he can live it to the fullest and enjoy himself you know um, and with fashion it's always uh, it's always a bit there's a blurred line with footballers and fashion is it? well if you go back to like George Best 
even uh, even because he used to open up a boutique. If you even look at the things Diego Maradona was wearing in the documentary, he had a big fur, like big, you know, extravagant furs. Look at what Neymar wears. He's got an interesting dress code. A lot of these footballers trying to do this modelling thing and I, David I guess, Beckham modelling. I guess when you're a multi-millionaire, you can do what you want. You're, you're the one that sets the trend. So well, you're trying to be an individual you, and dress. You well, don't want to dress like anyone else, I suppose. If you, you know what I mean? If you're a, a, a multi-million pound top footballer, maybe if you start wearing hot pink, then all of your fans and supporters will start wearing hot pink. Maybe you just started a trend now. Mm, I'll just wear hot pink normally, I reckon. Just hot pink slippers walking around the house. No. In your hot pink robe. There are some football teams that did... Drinking tea from your hot pink mug. (laughs) (laughs) With my hot pinky finger up as I'm drinking tea. That's a bit too much pink. Um, Some teams, the Juventus kit, pink. That's a decent pink. They made pink look cool. And the Man United pink top's pretty decent. Arsenal had a nice, uh, I think it was the third kit, the black one with the little pink trim. Yeah, see what I'm saying? That was a really nice kit. Pink and football, it's, you know, it's, it's rocking it, it's rocking it. Um, Expect to see us with the uh, pink kits. <laughs> I'm joking. So going from uh, a Spanish player, we can go to the Spanish league and mm. talk about some of the transfer talk that's happening at the moment. Speak on it. And there are some big, 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 big players being talked about at the moment. One of them being Philip Coutinho. Philip Coutinho, formerly of Liverpool, currently of Barcelona. Been talked about coming back to the Premier League. Who will have him? Well, let's think who could afford him. That's the question. Who'd need him? He wouldn't get in the Liverpool team and they don't want him back. He wouldn't get in the Man City team and they don't need him. Arsenal could do with him, but does he fit Emery's type of play? Spurs, would they spend any money on him? I doubt it. Man United, possibly, if they get rid of Sanchez. And, oh, did you see what Lingard did? No, what was that? I don't know, I need to research it, but I think he did something stupid on social media. Uh, he's always doing something, isn't he? Yeah, but uh, yeah. The, the thing about it, the all thing these, I'm these... excited about is just having him coming back because he has so much quality. I really enjoyed watching him play week in, week out in the Premier League. So I think it'd be great for the, the Premier League if Philip Coutinho does come back. Um, where would he go? I mean, it definitely looks like Paul Pogba might be on the move from Manchester United. So... If Manchester United, if they lose a player of Paul Pogba's quality, they're going to need a huge marquee signing to replace him or the fans are going to be livid, aren't they? Philip Coutinho could be the perfect man to come in and do what Pogba couldn't do because, you know, he was good for Liverpool. He scored a lot of goals. He got a lot of assists. He kind of controlled the tempo and pulled the strings. And I think that is something that, you know, Manchester United could do with someone with top, top, top quality coming in to do. Mm, mm. I think Philip Coutinho could be the man to do that. Um, talking to sort of his Barcelona teammate, Trouble in Paradise. Oh, ex-Barcelona teammate. Were they ever to the teammates at Barcelona? No. I think um, if he came Coutinho back, replaced so Neymar. So Coutinho Neymar goes, Neymar, Neymar could possibly be returning. He's like not happy at PSG. What happens with the world's most expensive footballer? Do you think Barcelona would take him back? Do you think he'd be a good fit there? I think I'm not I the think, biggest fan. I don't think I think you know, like I said this before, I have a hazard over Neymar. I think Neymar going back could could cause trouble. You know, the the thing about Neymar is the attitude. You know, he yeah. is one of these multi million pound footballers that knows he's one of the best players in the world. 
and you know there's a certain level of arrogance i suppose that comes with being one of the best in the world at whatever it is that you do mm. and you know he's not humble and you're gonna have to deal with that i suppose so i guess that will put some people off of him and think no he's too arrogant i don't like him but if you take all of that away what he does on the pitch is absolutely phenomenal and barcelona fans absolutely adored him they were sad when he left and they'd love to have him back. I think it's as simple as that. I think I've seen some reports in the media saying that Barcelona are interested in bringing Neymar back. I've seen some reports coming from Neymar's camp saying that he wants to go uh, back to Barcelona. So, you know, you never know. What could it, You never know. Maybe someone like Manchester City might see that Neymar's ready to move and they might step in. I don't think Pep would want him in Man City. He wouldn't get in the Man City team. To be fair, I think Pep's doing very good at managing egos. Yeah. And um, I think when Pep was at Barcelona, he was the one that pushed Ronaldinho out for that specific reason, that he didn't want that type of an ego. He didn't want these kind of disruptive influences Joe in the Hart, dressing room. Torre. So, yeah. I've heard you dropping Aguero yeah. until he turned it around. So. so, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe Pep wouldn't be interested in a Neymar uh, at the Etihad. Well, Real Madrid is sort of buying up everyone. Barcelona need to act quick. Um, we'll see what happens with the summer transfers. Me, I used to, I, I generally like to wait until players are wearing the shirt, doing the kick-ups. Yep. Um, you got to do some kick-ups. Definitely got to do some kick-ups. <laughs> doing the pre-season uh, friendlies or games and then I'll then, then I'll concentrate. All this all this rumour talk, I'll just wait because it's, it could just take up too much time. Um, I think that wraps up most of our chat. We've covered, you got anything other notes I'm saying? No, I think we've pretty much uh, talked about everything going on in world football at, at the moment, the biggest stories. So make sure you catch us next time for another summary of what's been going on in football. Yeah, this is the Play On podcast. Thank you for listening. Keep checking it out with the football. And take care of yourselves, guys. Yeah, man. We out. Bye. Peace. <laughs>